Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine, whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. Now, here's Dr. Eric. All right, guys. Well, uh, Dr. Eric here with another great guest. I've got uh, P.D. Mangan, uh, Dennis Mangan. He's a 62-year-old gentleman who uh, uh, definitely talks the talk and walks the walk. Uh, per his website, he, you know, he's a gentleman that is uh, in the health and uh, fitness uh, world, uh, similar to ourselves. He wants to, as a direct quote off his site, that he wants to get the most out of his life, be healthy, lean, muscular, and uh, avoid the ills of aging and live a long, uh, good time. He has an excellent website called Rogue Health and Fitness to dedicate to exploring cutting-edge science, uh, specifically for men's health, but certainly for uh, women, women and men in health in general. He uh, calls it Rogue because it's kind of gone against the standard advice of the medical establishment. Similar to what we talk about, we talk a lot about preventive health care and kind of going outside the norm. So, uh, Dennis, welcome. Uh, thanks, Eric. It's really good to be here. And uh, just just out of curiosity, do you, uh, do you go by Dennis or PD or either one is good? Yeah, my friends call me Dennis. My family calls me Dennis. <laughs> PD is my author's gotcha. name. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, Dennis, great. Yeah. Uh, tell me, uh, for, for people listening and uh, who will be listening, tell me a little bit uh, beyond what I mentioned. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your your website, how you got started, and what, I guess, what was your uh, your motivation for doing what you do? So, uh, I, I've been interested in health and fitness a, a long time um, since, since I was, uh, you know, teenager, uh, or 20 years old around there. And, um, but I pretty much always followed the conventional wisdom and, uh, I got into running a long time ago, uh, in my early twenties and eventually progressed to the point where I was doing some pretty good distance running. I I've completed a couple of marathons and, uh, you know, I thought that was the thing to do backing up a little bit. Uh, my, my late father had heart disease for quite a bit of his life. And that, that made a big impression on me that this was something that I really wanted to avoid. And so um, I got into running and then I kept kept at it. And then at some point I took what I thought was uh, the next step for my health and fitness. Again, listening to the mainstream is that I became a vegetarian. So I did that for a while. And then at some point uh, I became pretty ill and I had chronic fatigue. And it, it was something that an numerous doctors couldn't figure out. In any case, I had that quite a while. I had chronic fatigue for 11 years. Well, in the middle of all of that, I thought that I would probably never get over it. It was going on so long. And in any case, at some point, I decided that if anyone's going to be able to figure this out and get me better. It's going to be me. And uh, I, I have a background in, in science. I, have a, uh, I studied microbiology and biochemistry and pharmacology in college. So, you know, at that point was pretty familiar to me. So I just started uh, delving into the scientific literature and reading as widely as I could and trying to figure things out. Eventually, I, I really, a, a crucial point was when I figured out that uh, being a vegetarian was really not a good thing and that this this might be behind my health problems. Uh, so I did a number of things uh, I've taught, that I've talked about on my website. Uh, I quit, I dished the vegetarianism. Um, I looked into various supplements and so on. And eventually I started feeling a little better. 
And it, then at some point when I was feeling well enough, I took up weightlifting. And at first it was extremely difficult. You know, I could do it for 15 minutes before I was completely exhausted, but I kept at it. And uh, after a month or so, uh, I kept at it. And and then so, it, you know, at some point uh, I, I started my website and I, I really just started by posting interesting scientific articles without too much commentary, but then as I just got further into it, uh, it evolved into what it is today. And I've I've written six books, and I plan to write more. So I, you know, I just kept kept at it, and so here I am today. Well, that's excellent. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Actually, I'm reading your site. The the uh, articles are very well, are very thorough, and there's a lot of hyperlinks to a lot of the articles you draw information from. Um, Obviously, it's a question of time, and I was going to ask you, man, how do? Uh, there's a couple other uh, blogs I've read too. I'm like, man, how do these guys? Uh, how do these guys do all this and find all this and link all this? It's, it seems like it would take an inordinate amount of time to find all these and put them all together and uh, create all this. Um, so, how? Tell me about your uh, your process, I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose it doesn't really take as much time as you might think. When I get interested in a topic, I read about it. So I. I, I I get interested in a topic, I find the, the scientific information that I think I'm going to need or that, that I even don't know about. I read about it and then I gather my thoughts together and eventually uh, end up writing an article with that information. Also, there's a process where I, you know, I do some, th- I, I try to think for myself. There's a lot of the, uh, you know, conventional mainstream health wisdom that I don't buy. And I'm sure you know from reading my website. So anyway, I just try to put it all together. Um, you know, writing is uh, people have asked me about writing my books, and you, you know, if you really if you have that sits flesh and and just sit down and and work at it, before you know it, you've got a book. So uh, that, that's what I do. I, I don't I don't uh, spend all day long writing by any means. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, you're obviously very prolific. Admittedly, I have not read any of your books as of yet, uh, but I would like to because uh, they, they definitely, uh, they all sound good. And, and I was, I'm going to ask you about a couple of them here in a moment, but um, kind of getting into the nitty gritty, I, I, I like you, uh, am a fan of, uh, of uh, intermittent fasting and uh, uh, I've preached that before. I don't do it as much as I should, but I've, I like you have read about it quite a bit and um I think uh, the science is pretty good. Obviously, you're a big fan. I know you have. Uh, you've been doing this for some time. Do you? Do you? I know uh, there's many iterations, and everybody has uh, kind of their own niche. I guess. Have you found? Do you do it every day? What's your kind of routine and uh, your your preference for yourself? No, I don't do it every day. And my my feeling is since I lift weights, uh, I, I so I train hard with weights, basically twice a week. And my my feeling is that when you do that, you should be well fed. Mm-hmm around that time and for possibly up to 24 hours afterwards. So uh, basically at this point, I'm doing intermittent fasting maybe twice a week. And um, what I do is pro- probably the iteration that is most common, most most popular, however you want to call it. You simply don't eat at, after dinner in the evening until approximately noontime the next day. So that that gives you, and people have asked me this, sleep counts. Yeah. You're fasting when you're sleeping. Yeah. So that that actually makes it a lot easier because uh, by the time you, if you, if you finish your evening meal at 6 p.m., by the time you get up in the morning, you've already completed 12 hours of fasting. Right. Uh, if you if you uh, and then if you go till till uh, noon that day, 
that's another six hours. You've just fasted for 18 hours. And it, isn't, it, it just isn't as difficult as, as some people like to think it is. I, I get up in the morning, I'll have a cup of coffee, and uh, that, that's all I'll have, uh, uh, no food. And then, you know, maybe mid-morning, I'll have another cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and that helps uh, kill my appetite. And, and, and then, you know, then you get to about 11, 12, and you eat. And so you fasted from 16 to 18 hours. Oh, let me let me just back up a little bit. As far as as far as the weightlifting goes, I think it's important that you get enough protein, enough calories after intense weight workout. So th- this is why my my usual process is something like lift weights on day one, have a regular day, you know, on day two, and then if I want to do my intermittent fasting, it'll be on day three. That way, I'm away from my weight workout. I don't have to worry about you know muscle breakdown or or anything like that. When you lift weights with intensity, you're breaking down muscle. You you know you need the you need the food, the protein to to build them back up. Um, and so intermittent fasting is basically a form of calorie restriction and calorie restrictions, as I'm sure you know, has been found to be the most effective anti-aging process. When they do this with uh, laboratory animals, they find that they live a lot longer. However, calorie restriction is just a, a very difficult thing for humans to do. Yeah. Uh, there are some there there are some people that do it that are you know they they weigh their food and and make sure they're only taking in like 1600 calories a day or something right. but the problem is that, that these people report that they're cold they're tired they have low libido there, there's all kinds of downsides to doing this aside from the fact that you're hungry and it's just kind of miserable it's it sound like to me so intermittent fasting has been found to have many of the advantages of calorie restriction um, without the disadvantages because you, you basically eat the same amount of food as you always do you just eat it at different times you go for a longer time so you know you don't get cold tired or have low sex drive um, you, you, uh, but you do get these, these health benefits. Yeah. I think, um, I, I'm trying to do a, something similar as well. I mean, I've done often, you know, for some time, just maybe a once a week, you know, like a 16 hour, but I'm trying to do it a little bit more frequently. And I know some people do it a few times a week. Some people do it every day. And, um, I've, in my head, I've been like, I'm kind of like you, I get into a topic and I try to research and, and, uh, play around with an experiment on myself. And, uh, I've been, that's one of the things I've been trying to kind of at least figure out for myself. Like you said, on days that you weight train, um, obviously you want to you want to have that that uh, good intake of protein and calories to keep that muscle that anabolism going. Um, and then maybe on an alternate day. So I've been playing around with you know I do like a three times a week of weight training, and obviously I eat normally. But then what I did today actually I just did cardio, but I fasted. Uh, I went in fasted, did some fasting cardio, and I I did probably sixteen hours, and I felt great. And then I just ate normally, just um, and I was not. I think, like you said, the key is not, I didn't restrict my calories, I still eat, but I compressed it into that window, and it seems to be, I'm going to keep trying to do that throughout the week, see how that goes, but I felt pretty good today doing that, and I think that's the key, is that's the, figuring that out, I was talking to some other physicians, you know, that doing a lot of research on things like mTOR and AMPK, and it's walking that balance of, obviously, if you're, you're working out hard and eating all the time, that's great for, you know, building muscle, but then you're, you're, you're cranking up your mTOR, and that's, you know, could potentially affect your longevity. Whereas the opposite, if you're, you know, dialing that way down, you're going to live longer, but then you're going to be really scrawny. So you have to find that balance. And I think that's the, 
Right. <laughs> That's the key. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, the, 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 the mTOR activation is, is fascinating. It seems, seems to be that, you know, it's chronic mTOR activation mm-hmm. that, that seems to be the problem. And so what you, what you want as, as I see it is you want these cycles, uh, just, just, a, a, I think a good analogy is with insulin. It's great. You know, if you, if your insulin spikes, when you, when you, you eat, that's what it's supposed to do, but you don't want insulin high all the time. Same with mTOR, right? You know, you want it, you want it activated and, and, but you don't want it activated all the time because that promotes aging. Right, absolutely. I know you talk a lot and you've written a lot of articles about supplements. You have a great supplement guide uh, you offer as well. What are some, do you have any, uh, I mean, again, everybody's different. Everybody has different needs metabolically and nutritionally, but uh, have you found some from your research that you uh, have kind of a broader reach for most pay- most people in terms of uh, age management, longevity, etc. Um, well, sure. Uh, what I what I've told people is that the the supplements that almost everyone could use are uh, fish oil, vitamin D, and magnesium. Mm-hmm. The, these are these are the fish oil provides omega three, and all three of those uh, represent substances that many many people are deficient in. Uh, magnesium. I, I mean, the statistics are are incredible. Like uh, you know, seventy percent of the population is is low in magnesium, and it's it's a vital mineral. Vitamin D. Again, vitamin D deficiency is widespread, and uh, ideally you would get out into the sun and every and and get your vitamin D that way but you know there are these things winter and northern latitude that you know, prevent people from getting the sun exposure they need and yes yeah, so i mean north of the north of 37 degrees latitude which is right about where i am you 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 can only make vitamin D in the skin in the summer mm-hmm. So uh, outside of that time, people aren't getting any vitamin D that way. And then uh, the omega-3 from, from fish oil, the fatty acids, omega-6 and omega-3 are extremely important. And the people people in this country and the, in the developed world generally get far too much omega-6 yeah. from, from yeah. vegetable oils and processed food and so on. So the, the key is, is to cut, really cut back on that stuff to, to uh, I'm sure most people are, are hardly aware that they're ingesting it, but it's, it's in all kinds of processed food and in vegetable oils and restaurant food and so on. And so the key is cutting back on that omega-6 and then giving yourself a bit of omega-3 to bring those into balance. So those three, I think most people most people could use. I, I, I am into some other supplements too that, that have anti-aging effects. For instance, I take berberine and which is, which is uh, clo- close in action to metformin. Yep. Uh, right. So, um, yeah. And the, you know, there are, there are others. So I, which I, which I've just discussed in my book. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. The, uh, on my site, the, uh, Dr. Eric age management, uh, I, have a few supplements I recommend as well. And those are, it seems like when I talk to my patients in the office, those are three of the ones I mention all the time as well. Same thing, obviously here in Ohio, we even less sun than you. So I tell her just about everybody, all my patients are deficient in D and uh, magnesium, especially a lot of my hormone replacement patients. Um, I've got a lot of men on uh, testosterone and magnesium is crucial because that it's one of the final steps in that metabolic pathway of making kind of everything sink and work. So um, yeah, and fish oil, again, you know, that's, 
super important. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. I take that. I take all three of those myself. Tell me about, let's, let's talk about iron. I know you wrote a whole book on that. Um, I, I, I recommend everybody uh, pick up Dennis's book online. Um, but tell me, I know you you talked a little bit about uh, iron and we, you know, I talked before and I know you have as well about uh, the dangers of excessive insulin glucose because of the glycation and the damage it can do. But iron does a lot of the same things. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting story, one that uh, most people don't know. Iron, of course, is, is a critical nutrient that every, every, virtually every living thing uh, requires. And so iron, iron is actually relatively scarce in the environment. Uh, organisms, and including, we're talking about human beings here, Humans have evolved mechanisms to get iron from the environment, and given given how organisms evolved and how humans evolved, we never really had any any reason to try and get rid of iron. So we we have no we have no means of getting rid of it. Our, our body holds on to iron. In con, uh, in contrast to most other minerals, we we hold on to iron, and it's very difficult to to get rid of it. And as a consequence, uh, some people uh, develop develop uh, well. I don't want to call it iron overload because that's a that's a clinical condition, but high iron levels uh, that are that are within what um, most doctors and laboratories consider the normal range, but which are detrimental to. Health. So it's been shown that iron uh, now iron is usually measured as ferritin that that's the storage form of iron so uh, ferritin levels above about 100 are detrimental to health and they have they have associations with heart disease with cancer with diabetes and with many other maladies infections so i'll uh, back up a little bit women obviously have a natural mechanism for getting rid of iron because they have menstruation and uh, the uh, the blood is the the main uh, storage organ of iron in the body. So when you bleed, either that way or if if you don't eat blood, you get rid of iron. And obviously, don't have this. And men are uh, most at risk for having um, excessive iron stores, um, at least up until about the age of fifty. And after the age of 50, women's iron levels start to rise, but never quite reach the levels of men. Men have higher rates of heart disease and cancer. Um, so uh, th- there's there's a, a very good study, uh, Copenhagen Heart Study, where they found that uh, people people with a ferritin level of 600 or more, their a- a- average age of death was 55. And then as the ferritins go down, the average uh, age of, of uh, death goes way up until you get down below 200. They, they didn't distinguish anything lower than 200, but at, at 200, they were living to 78, 79 in there, a, a normal you know, a normal range. So uh, it's, it's very important. This is a very uh, underrated, overlooked factor in, in health that, um, Lower iron gives you uh, better insulin sensitivity, uh, better, better endothelial function. So, uh, yeah, I, I would urge people to at least know their iron level. Uh, you know, blood donors live uh, much longer and have have uh, uh, lesser rates of heart of heart disease and so on. There have been numerous studies of this. So, yeah, 
that that's the story of iron it's all in my book yeah perfect yeah dumping iron uh correct is the name of the book um yeah, it's, it sounds yeah. like, um, and I've I've been doing some reading on that since I've, I've listened to that as well. I've read another source talking about iron, and uh, obviously you can measure iron, you can measure your ferritin on a simple blood test, easy to get. Um, you know, if it's high, there's a lot of natural things you can do, and you know, simple things like drinking coffee and tea and red wine and uh, avoiding iron cookware, things of that nature. Any other uh, quick suggestions? I mean, I'm obviously read the book, but if there's any other quick, quick, simple ones you recommend? Right, right. Well. Um uh, it's interesting that that so many uh, so many things that have been found to to extend lifespan or improve health uh, have to do with iron. It, it's amazing when you find this connection. Um, there there was a there was a study that just came out very recently uh, where they said metformin induces an iron deficient like state. In other words, it, it, the the when when somebody took metformin, it was like their body was reacting. Right. Uh, in, in such a way that it was similar to iron deficiency. And as we know, metformin extends lifespan. Uh, curcumin, for instance, it can, can induce iron deficiency in lab animals. Uh, green tea extract, the same. Um, we found, like you mentioned, coffee and tea. tea we, we know that they're good for health. They also, they inhibit iron absorption. So there's all kinds of iron. When you see this connection, it starts popping up everywhere that there is this iron connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of metformin, is that something, uh, I don't know if you or have any other people you've worked with taking it who are non-diabetic, who have no insulin or, or uh, glucose problems? I know I know. Jake Hamill is a big proponent of it, no matter what, for just for life extension. What's your take on that? Um, well, well I, I don't take it personally. Like I mentioned, I'm taking berberine, which uh, hope, hopefully is giving me similar results. Um, I... I wonder, I have wondered whether if, if someone is, is eating a, a good diet, uh, low in refined carbohydrates and sugar, and they're lean and exercise, how much, uh, how much additional benefit is metformin going to give them? Right. That's a good question. I don't think anybody really knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, because... It, Right until until now, uh, the only people taking metformin were diabetics. Right, right. And uh, um, you know, so yeah, so sure, metformin is a, a great benefit to them. Will it, will it help you and me? Well, maybe, maybe not. We we just don't know. Um, there there was one study that showed that uh, met uh, diabetics who who were on and actually had better health than non-diabetics who did not take met, metformin. And that's very interesting. Um, the problem is with that is that the general population is glucose intolerant. I mean, like 80, 90 percent of people out there with the obesity epidemic and so on, they're, they don't have, they're, they're not normal. I mean, metformin, if you gave metformin to them, it would probably benefit them, the average right, person out right. there. So, um, can can will will metformin add add to your lifespan if you're already you know if you're already lean and healthy and exercise eat right etc. Well, well, we don't yeah, know. Don't know. Um, it certainly seems right. It it seems it seems low low risk enough uh, for people to be taking it uh, even if they if they aren't diabetic. It's prescription only, of course. Um, 
So that, that's my take on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the same as you. I think, um, you know, I don't know, who knows if it's going to help someone who's already pre-dialed in your, but you're right though, most most patients, a lot of people, at least a lot of my patients are not, and they do have issues with insulin sensitivity, glucose sensitivity, and intolerance, et cetera, and would benefit from it. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty well, uh, pretty, pretty solid metabolically, and I try to do my, I uh, practice what I preach. I, I've read some articles and some interesting things on, um, you know, similar similar things like like he's mentioned, like berberine, which I, I have not taken, but um, you know, things like gynostemma. I'm not sure how you say gynostemma tea, uh, which is an adaptogenic herb, herbal tea, been around for centuries, is supposed to also have some similar properties as metformin. I, I drink that every day, uh, but I'm a big tea guy. But I thought, hey, you know, if it can't hurt anything, but it's it's uh, it's, it's an area I'm looking into. I'm researching that a little bit right now. Right. Um, what? What? And the other one uh, is funny. I read an article that uh, which I mentioned gynostem, and it was also also talking about rapamycin. And I think you uh, had a good interview with Dr. Alan Green about rapamycin. That's a uh, kind of a whole other area which I've not uh, really delved into. I'm starting to, but it uh, looks like you've had a good talk with him. I, I was curious. I was going to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, right. Uh, rapamycin is definitely uh, the the drug that has. Uh, uh, got the most interest uh, in the scientific community in general for anti-aging and, and prolonging lifespan. It's uh, it's an mTOR inhibitor, and uh, uh, it seems to be the most potent one when when given to uh, uh, rats and mice uh, in extending their lifespan. So they're they're uh, you know it's it's available. It's generic now. It's prescription only. But there are very few doctors uh, who are prescribing it. They, they're, I, I happen to know of a few people who are taking it on their own. Um, and so Dr. Green, uh, who practices in New York, uh, he started taking it himself. And he, he, describes his, he, he describes what happened to him as miraculous. He, yeah. he, he had, yeah, yeah, chest pain. He was overweight. He he, you know, couldn't walk up a hill, kind of thing. Um, and and he started taking rapamycin, and he said that within a few months, a few months later, he said he had this eureka moment when he he said to himself, "Holy shit, this stuff really works." Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. Um, I think that this is going to become a little more widespread. And um, one one thing that's about rapamycin is that it's it's a relatively inexpensive drug and it's the most really about the most potent thing going in in that area and yet we you read it lately about a lot of people like silicon valley types and so on who are who are trying to you know hack aging and, and extend lifespan and all this and it's just seems to me that this drug rapamycin it's sitting there staring at them in the face yeah. and it's right here i mean you nobody the problem is, is nobody can build a multi-million dollar company on rapamycin yeah. it's it's out of patent and they're not going to you know no drug company is going to sponsor a lot of research on it and mm-hmm. so on so it's 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 a very it's very interesting yeah yeah well that's a whole nother con- that's a conversation for another day i know i talk about that with some of my colleagues about hormones obviously we, we we definitely believe in that but you don't hear it and it gets poo-pooed because you know there's some big pharma can't make a dime off it and things like that so of course you're going to hear about other things instead right. so um 
Well, good. So, what's uh, what kind of right. new challenges do you have? What any new book topics? New new uh, challenges for the business? What's what's new on your agenda for 2018? Well, uh, I'm I'm about ready to start another book, and I I'd, I'd like to write something um, really that that uh, encompasses my whole whole health philosophy. I, I I've written a lot both on my website and my books. And I think I need to, uh, you know, bring it all together in 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 some in a fairly comprehensive but uh, relatively simple form that that people can read and say, yeah, this you know this is what it's all about with the diet and exercise and so right. on. Excellent, excellent. That's what I plan to do. Yeah. Any uh, new ch- new uh, personal hobbies? Any good non medical books uh, you recommend? I always ask all my uh, my guests about that. Oh well, uh, yeah, I I read a lot in uh, investing in finance. So uh, I read a good one called The Acquirer's Multiple just recently, uh, and uh, and uh, one on dual momentum investing. So I I like all that stuff. Um, You know that that's kind of stuff I read when I'm not doing doing what I'm doing on my website. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that too because I, uh, I like to read about finance. I've got some, actually one of my, the guy that got me into podcasting is a big real estate uh, investor and um, it's I noticed on your site that you accept Bitcoin and speaking of alternative finance. So I figured you, I, I, figured, uh, uh, right. I figured you had some financial, finance interest there. Right, right. I do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, tell, uh, uh, obviously, RogueHealthAndFitness.com. Is that the best place for uh, people who want to check out your articles? And your books, of course, are on Amazon, correct? And your website? That That's right. RogueHealthAndFitness.com. My books are on Amazon. And I'm on Twitter, too. And my handle is Mangan150. Uh, so they can find me on Twitter too. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I I will have to search you out myself. I've been I've read your a lot of your articles. You've done a great job, and kudos uh, to all the work you've done. And I'm looking forward to your books. I'm gonna get uh, at least a couple of them myself and read through them. Great, great. I, that's well, great. good. I'd love to have you back on. I've taken enough of your time for the evening. I'm gonna let you let you go, but I appreciate all your time. I, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back. We'll talk about some more controversial topics that that I didn't, I didn't get to tonight. We'll talk about cholesterol and hormones and some other stuff. So. <laughs> okay well well uh, yeah any anytime eric thanks for having me. all right great thanks dennis well enjoy the rest of your week and have a great easter weekend